Today we're talking about sound. There are of course lots of sounds that you will hear on a cotton farm, but today we're talking specifically about sounds you won't be able to hear with your ears. We're talking about bats on cotton farms, and we're learning just how noisy they can be. We're also learning about their role in biodiversity and their contribution to integrated pest management. So in this episode of Crop to Top, we're speaking with Professor Stuart Parsons, who has recently completed work with acoustic sensors to examine the behaviour of bats on cotton farms. And we start by asking him how he first got involved in this type of research with acoustic sensors and with bats. I started doing um, my PhD on sort of bioacoustics of, of bats in New Zealand. And it all started from there. And you know, that was, I don't know how many years ago, 30 more or more years ago. So from that, you know, there's been lots of different things that have happened. Um, I sort of studied the behavior of animals as it relates to sound. So I've had uh, projects from working with students on whales, on insects, on birds, mainly around their behaviors and their sounds. Um, and so that sort of led quite nicely into another area, which was around how do you actually analyze the sound and actually use that information to study the behavior of animals. So particularly bats, they're small, it's at night, yep. they're brown or black, and they're really quick. Mm. And so they're, they can be a bit of a nightmare to try and study. But they produce these echolocation calls 10, 20 times a second, and they can be really, really loud. They can be as loud as standing next to a jackhammer on a road. But of course, we can't hear them because they're beyond our hearing. So we, what we say is that they're leaking this information about themselves into the environment. So how do we pick that up and use it? So I started um, working on techniques for actually analyzing the sound to differences between species and things. And that got me into machine learning and artificial intelligence to see if these were better than normal statistical techniques for telling animals apart. And that's sort of just grown up from there. And now, you know, 20, 30 years later, we're using the latest techniques in machine learning and artificial intelligence to keep trying to do that, embedding it in specific hardware. And, you know, when I started my PhD, I was carrying a 20 kilogram reel-to-reel quarter on my back, and I had a mate with me carrying a car battery to power it. And nowadays, it fits in the palm of your hand. So there's been huge opportunity in new techniques, machine learning, recording hardware, and I find myself where I am now. So would you say that we know a lot more about the behavior of bats from understanding this, the sounds that they make? Absolutely. So there's two ways that we can look at that. First of all, what do we understand about how and why they make sound? And there's been huge leap forwards in, in understanding that because we've got new technologies for recording them and being able to analyze them quickly. Um, the other side of it is we know a lot more about how they live and where they live because we can do really large-scale deployments. So if you think about an animal where you can have um, from five bats in a tree to 70 million bats in a cave, and how do you study them once they leave and they go somewhere else? Well, you can radio track them, but that's incredibly time and money intensive. Or you can go out and try and spotlight them and use thermal imaging or you can put out a series of acoustic recorders and go home and have a cup of tea. And so you do that. But in the past, you put those out over large areas of land over large periods of time, and it would take years to analyze everything. So you can imagine a recorder recording for 12 hours a night over 10 days, and you have 30 of those recorders. 
suddenly really starts to get out of hand. And so with the machine learning, we can actually train systems to go through and find all of those calls for us. Then we can jump in and have a look at them. If we're able to, we can actually use the machine learning to tell us what's there. From that, we can then say, well, what's the environment look like? Is it mud flats? Is it forest? Is it farmland? And then really understand about how the animals are using those as well. We can study their social calls using acoustics and understand how they interact with one another, how they compete for food. So, you know, studying sound, you understand about the echolocation and how they use it to find objects as a sense in itself, but also it opens this huge window into understanding the biology, ecology, behavior of the animals. So it's, it's an invaluable tool to us. Wow, it's fascinating. Yeah. So how does this type of work then... Um, lead to the Cotton Landcare project and what's the linkage? Can you explain that for me please? So I think the really great thing about the Landcare project is it's delivering on the technology and the tools to a completely different group of end users. So you know in the past I'd be going out, I still do, I go out into the field, I record animals and I learn about what they do and why they do it and that contributes to our overall understanding of well, how bats work but also birds and insects and things and so that's useful for the scientific community and in general for people to know how nature works but in this case we can actually use this technology to deliver information to growers at a, a rate or in a timely way that really actually can help them to manage their operations on farms. So essentially we're doing the same thing, but it's delivering the information to a new audience. And that's really important because a grower doesn't want to learn how to use a bat detector. We use bat detectors, that's what they're called. They don't want to be going around all night. They've got busy lives and busy days and, and things. So we can actually deliver the technology where they can actually go back into their farm, sit on the computer and actually see what the biodiversity is around them and then get engaged in that. There's other sides of, of it as well, which is I think very good for growers, but it's also very good for um, everybody else in that the growers will learn about the animals that are on their farm and actually the benefits that those animals bring. Yeah. So natural pest control is a big topic about how growers can control pests, not just in the cotton industry, in grains, in all of them. And bats eat cotton bollworm. And there was a study conducted in the 2000s in the US and it showed that bats contribute $2 billion to the cotton industry in the US. And they do it by eating bollworm and reducing insecticide, pesticide use by the growers. Now that's good for the growers, it makes it more economical for them, it benefits everybody else because we don't need to use pesticides, insecticides and maybe non-target species. And it benefits the bats because everyone suddenly understands the value that they bring and they, you know, bats can sometimes have a bit of a bad reputation, they don't deserve it, but you know, thank you to, thank you Bram Stoker, they have a bad reputation. But people start to understand and value that biodiversity and think when I'm out there and I'm doing things, I need to actually take care of these creatures because they're doing a lot more for us than we ever thought they did. Yeah. So I think, you know, that, that in answer to your question, it's being able to take that technology and what we've learned, to be honest, because of the investment that's come from Cotton and from the National Landcare Project, take it to the next level and actually deliver it to a completely different group of people who can make use of it and understand the benefits of bats and biodiversity.
Yeah, well, integrated pest management has been huge for the cotton industry in terms of its benefits and <laughs> reducing its environmental footprint, but I would think perhaps up until now, bats would not be something that would be on growers' radar as something that can contribute to that. So it's fascinating to hear that they're there mm. and that they uh, have the potential to offer value. Yeah, and the growers have been really engaged. So, you know, they're, the growers understand about the biodiversity that's on their farms. And when we've gone out and spoken to the growers, um, we have uh, a lad who's worked with us, who's, or two of them actually, who are very keen birders just absolutely crazy about their birds and the engagement they have with their growers and about the birds and the growers will say well, look I've got this bit of bush over there do you mind going for a walk through there and coming back and telling me what's there and of course they love doing that so they come back and do it and then we mentioned bats and I think the first thing that pops into their mind is flying foxes and then we say well there's these other bats that are out there oh are there you know and they're quite curious about it and we explain what they are and what they're doing. And some of them have seen them flitting through the lights and things like that. But they really don't have a good grasp of the diversity that they've got and what the bats are actually doing. And they're very engaged when they find out. And what we've actually found is that most of the growers are more fascinated by the bats because it's new they didn't know about them than they are about the birds. They love the birds, but there's this new thing that they didn't know about that they've got on their land that they can have a positive influence about and the bats could actually do something for them. And one of the really interesting things that came out of the project was um, we've had a, people in our team who've been talking to the growers about what would the, the website that we've developed for them look like, how would they interact with it. But one of the things we talked about was the bats that eat the cotton bollworm. And, and they said, do I have, the first question is, do I have them? And we could look at the data and say, yes, you do, no, you don't. And when we said, no, you don't, the reaction was, how do I get them? Mm. And I think that is one of the most positive things that I've seen come out of the project. Because we can say to them, the bats that we're monitoring are reliant on trees, generally older growth trees, because they feed in them and they roost in them, they live in them. Yep. And that's why we chose them, because they're not, they are dependent on that. And we say, if you can create a landscape of vegetation that's connected to other parts of the landscape that helps the bats to come through and if you preserve preserve this these wooded areas there's a good chance that you can get these bats coming in it's like right okay now i know what i need to do and that that engagement from the growers as well as the positive impact that's going to have on the landscape and biodiversity has just been tremendous you know, they're really interested in what's going on. So could you explain for the growers who haven't seen these sensors or, or been involved with the project, what does the process sort of look like going out to a farm, mm -hmm. putting them in, and then how do they sort of work in fairly practical sort of terms? And Sure. Mm. So there's, there's two approaches that we've adopted. And the two approaches have been really necessitated by whether or not there's internet access on the farm. And it's not just normal internet access, it's what we call internet of things. And these are uh, very wide area networks, not, they're like your mobile phone network, but they're designed to spread over really big areas, as you would expect in rural areas. So the first one, which is the most innovative, is a device that um, works in these remote areas, as long as there's internet of things. And the way I would describe it is, there's a little computer that sits in a box and it's run by a solar panel. And what happens is, at, we'll talk about bats mainly, it works for birds as well, but about half an hour before dusk, which is when bats become active, this thing turns itself on 
and it just listens. And when a sound comes in to it, it's re constantly recording. And every as it's recording, it's saying, is it a bat or not? That's all it's saying. And there's um, what we call a convolutional neural network, which is machine learning, AI, just a technique. And it's monitoring that sound stream as it comes in. And it hears a sound and it goes, is that a bat or not? And if it's a bat, it actually saves the sound onto a little hard drive. If it's not a bat, it just lets it go, just disappears out of the system. So the system is sitting there and saving all these files where it thinks there's a bat in it. Then there's a second convolutional neural network that then goes away and looks at all of those files and it says, well, which bat is it? And they process that. Now, the thing is, the bat, not bat, is quite a simple answer. It can actually happen in real time. So it's making these real-time decisions. The bigger one to identify the bats takes a little bit of time. Yep. There's usually about a five-minute lag for it to process the sounds that have come in. So what that happens then is the bigger species network will save these basically text files, which has got the time and the date and the species it thinks it is as text files. Because this device is sitting in an area with the Internet of Things, it then takes all of those files and it uploads them into the cloud. And in the cloud, they get processed and put into a database. And then what happens for the grower is, they go to a website called What's On My Farm. They log in with their particular identity and it will show them on a map where their sensors are, so they, they know exactly where they are. And it'll actually show them with about a five minute lag, all the species and the number of all the activity of the bats that they've got with about a probably five to 10 minute delay. So they'll, will they know roughly the populations or just the presence of that species? So with bats and echolocation, you can't tell numbers of bats. What you can do is you can tell relative activity. So there was lots of bats over here and of this species and less of them at this area and of this species. You can never really tell numbers because of the way the echolocation works. So in terms of how, uh, the, so the second one is a much more hands-on. So what that is, is a tiny little audio recorder called an audio moth. That gets strapped to a tree. It has batteries and it has little SD cards in it. It lasts for two weeks to a month. And it's designed to operate in areas where there is no internet access. So in that case, someone needs to go once a month, say, and get the cards out, replace them, and put the batteries in. Then they would, um, and this is a process we're still working through, possibly send them back to us. And then we can upload them through our system. They'll all get processed, put into the cloud. But that was really necessary because not all farms have internet access and internet of things access as well. One of the other options we thought about was that the grower could take the card out, put it into their computer, upload it to the cloud. But of course, you know, as all of the people who live in rural areas will know, Sometimes the internet is not very good and they're not well serviced in that way. So we're trying to work through a system that's easiest for them to do that. But you know, ultimately what we would hope is that everybody has Internet of Things access and these devices get put out. Now this thing's solar powered. And I'll, I'll highlight this by saying there is one in the world. We built one of these because there's a global chip shortage and we could only scramble together the parts to ever build one of them. Right. So it's pretty precious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it has been deployed for two to three weeks. Basically, it got put by a paddock where no one was going to be harvesting or driving anything yeah. uh, with the solar panel and it ran for two and a half weeks autonomously. 
and upload it. Uh, interestingly, the Internet of Things antenna decided to flip out on us, but all the data was still on it, and that's all been uploaded to the What's on My Farm. So we've done field trials with it. We know that it works, and we've done it with the smaller recorders as well. So there's potential in the future for this to be improving all the time and for it to become more and more accessible and practical for us. Absolutely. I mean, right now it's a it's a re it's not that big a device. I mean, one person could carry the unit and then under the other arm the solar panel that comes with it. But it's designed to be autonomous. We don't, you know, the growers. If let's say a grower bought some, they should be able to just put them out and walk away. Well, flip a button, turn it on, and walk away. Is it at that stage yet? Well, it lasted two and a half, three weeks. But, you know, it can be pretty harsh in some of these areas with heat, with animals. Who knows if something's going to try and eat it and things. So, But we do have a follow-on project from this, which is to try and design the next generation of this sensor to make it smaller, more power efficient, faster, and therefore much more usable. Yeah, really getting it out there yeah. to, the, to the growers more. I mean, we want growers to be able to use this. And we want them to see the value of what we've done and for it to be valuable to them and for as many people as possible to have them. As I said before, this is the only thing in the world that does this. Um, and we're quite proud of that. But it also gives them an opportunity to be really leaders in these areas. Yeah. And so just going back a little bit, but you see one of the biggest benefits is helping growers with the broader biodiversity picture and building that understanding that can take measures on their farm to improve the habitat. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, if they're looking to, um, you know, expand their arable area and they're looking at a set of trees and things thinking, okay, well, what, what's the benefit to me of those trees? I mean, trees on their own have benefit in terms of um, erosion control, carbon sequestration. They have their own natural value. But the other thing to realize is there's a value around integrated pest management because there are actually maybe bats in there that are eating bollworm. Mm. One of the really interesting bits of work we did was we put out the sensors over a cotton growing cycle because what's going to be really interesting is does the, the animals that are there change as the cotton matures. And one of the things we found was one of the birds that um, is likely to be eating cotton bollworm, when there's no cotton grown or it's very, very young and there's a lot of clear ground, they're simply not there because these birds are like to be on the ground but with bush cover over them. And what we see is actually the rate of calling and the appearance of these birds when the cotton gets to a certain level of maturity and there's sufficient ground cover, suddenly they're in there. And so what we can show is that the birds that, that are likely to be eating the cotton bollworm are actually coming in to that farm when the cotton is maturing. Now, if you compared that to a farm, say, for reasons, maybe there's not enough trees around or riparian areas, they could look at that and say, well, these birds aren't coming in and helping me. So that's the type of information that can come back to them. Mm. And so if they then think, well, I've got an opportunity to plant in this area, and I know farmers have got a very long-term view on the management of their land, and know that in 20 years, when these trees are growing up and helping, that's an investment they'll make, things will get better. And we'll, we'll see the benefit of the, the land management and the biodiversity management from the growers. So, Stuart, were the outcomes and lessons from the project pretty much in line with you what you expected or I guess there's always <laughs> it's a, you it's a good oh, no it's a good question because um, my, my greatest learning out of it was yeah it was as hard as I ever thought it was going to be <laughs> um, it was a very very ambitious project and for that reason it is a proof of concept project but we're we got it done yeah and I think that 
that's a credit to the whole team. You know, I mean, we, we interacted and worked with some absolutely fantastic cotton growers, we really did, who were just so engaged with the entire process of, you know, giving us access to their land, telling us what they thought was going on, how should we design the system for them. So it was a great partnership. Yeah, I mean, it was as, as hard as I thought it would be. It was much more rewarding than I thought it would be. It was much more um, about not just the technology that would be delivered as a, a pro research project, but actually working with the growers, working with the industry, and, and understanding that something that we've created is actually going to be used by somebody. And I find that really rewarding as well. Well, that's great. I think I've come to the end of my questions, but certainly next time I'm on the farm at night, I'll be listening. Keeping Absolutely. an eye out. Yeah, and yeah. I've got some um, uh, recorders um, that you can borrow as well. And if people want to borrow them, um, we can see what we can do. If they plug into an iPhone, the software is, um, or into an Android device. The software is free if you've got the hardware attached to it, and you'll actually hear the bats flying past. Yeah, it changes the sound to be within our hearing range, and you'll suddenly realize, and you'll be able to see the calls on the screen, and you'll suddenly realize all of that wonderful diversity that's out there. Wow. Is there anything else you wanted to mention that I haven't thought to ask about or cover um, I think probably the main thing is, you know, where does this go? You know, I think one of the things it, it offers is the opportunity to expand the species that this device is looking at. So is it looking at frogs as well, which mm. are obviously a very good indicator yeah. of, of um, ecosystem health? But also what other things can we do on farm that will actually benefit the growers. And so we've been talking about expanding it to actually look at threatened species. So the species that it's currently looking at are not threatened. They're all the ones that we think will be in cotton. But what about if threatened species come along and, and how do we actually manage that in an agricultural area? The other thing is we talk about the, the growers and give them advice on how they might connect the landscape. But how do we actually use these devices to go and study a connected and a disconnected cotton landscape and say, yeah, this will work. If you do this, then you will see these species begin to appear. And that tells us a lot about fragmentation that happens when we lose trees, we lose forests, animals get isolated from one another, they can't move around. And actually to then say to the, to the farmers, this level of land management of connectivity and things will also produce benefits for the birds, for the bats, and for you as growers as well. Yeah. So, you know, this is a tool that we've developed, but what's the application of the tool then going forward for on-farm management, biodiversity management, understanding what's happening in these landscapes? I think that's a really exciting next step in what's going on. Exactly, yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for your time today. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Time. Thank you for coming along. Thanks for listening. Professor Parsons is currently with the University of Sunshine Coast, but this work was completed while he was at the Queensland University of Technology. It was funded by the Cotton Research and Development Corporation and the Australian Government's National Landcare Smart Farming Partnership. To learn more about biodiversity, simply check out the web pages of the Cotton Info website. Thanks for listening.